0: morning uh, welcome to Southwoods Christian Church. we're so glad you're here with us whether you're in the blue chairs or tuning in on, on the uh, live stream. Uh, this morning we just have a, just a few quick announcements. Um, encourage you to check out the you know the kiosk in the back for just events going on at the church and um, also online. Check out what's going on. We have a women's event this Thursday and with that I encourage you to join me, stand and uh, let's worship our God this morning.
1: We're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise.
2: We, we will
1: And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And
2: we won't be quiet. We're going to shout out your praise. as joy.
0: for that I'm thinking for the joy that we have in him today and just knowing that he is in control and he is making a way right he's making a way I'm trying not to be cheesy but you know he's he's just at work and we know that um he already has a house prepared for us and we have joy in that so let's just take heart in that this morning church fix your eyes on him because we glorify him um in our suffering. You know, he's he's made more perfect and more clearly amazing through all that. So praise him for being at work and let's just keep in mind keep that in mind in this next song. You are here
1: moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship Ship. Shit yeah. Keeper, Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Even when I don't see that you're working, Even when I don't feel that you're working You never stop, you never stop working You never stop, you never stop working Even when I don't see that you're working Even when I don't feel that you're working You never stop, you never stop
2: working You never stop, you never stop working Even when I don't see that you're working
0: Let's go ahead and turn and greet someone this morning. Say hi.
1: ever seen
0: on to that promise that you know when Christ is our cornerstone and we build our life on that and the things that we do the things that we do each day are for his kingdom they will pass through the fire like we can just hold true to that you know one of those ways that we can just put our trust in him and uh, live that out in a very tangible real way is ways to give and so it's kind of our next segue you're going to check out a video here groovy video just to remind you of the different ways you can do that here at Southwoods, but in all reality, you know, really think about how we can put our trust in Him and build our lives upon that, things that will last eternally. All right, check out the video. Oh, and you may have a seat. Thank you.
3: music so good morning welcome welcome to uh, Southwoods if you're new today we're thrilled that you're here if uh, if you're a regular we're we're also thrilled you're here Um, before we dive into this morning's message time what I want us to do is I want us to pause for a moment and we uh, I'm sure most of us have just witnessed the events of this past week things going on in Afghanistan and uh, that's if it's not concerning to you it should be just from the standpoint that there are lots and lots of believers in Christ over there. There are people who need Christ, and it's, uh, it, these are traumatic upheavals going on. So I just want us to pause for a few moments, bow our heads, and, and give you a few moments of silence just to pray about that. And then what I'll do is just verbalize a prayer for us and just pray for believers there. Pray for uh, And here's, here's the thing. It's interesting. You, you read the book of Acts and we're torn because there's this one part of us that wants to pray for uh, deliverance and freedom and healing and all, all this. And then what do what the believers in the Acts pray for? They're praying for boldness to be witnesses and to empowerment of the spirit and all these kinds of things. And so my encouragement to all of us is let's pray for both of those things. Don't just pray for safety. I mean, our culture, we're safety freaks right now a bit. It's, we're, we're borderline. We need to pray not just for that, but we need to pray for a holy boldness and for a movement of the Spirit of God in that place. So uh, let's bow our heads, pray silently for a few moments, and I'll pray audibly for us, okay? Father, we just lift up to you the, the people of Afghanistan and that region and the world, and you recognize better than we do that so many of them have lived their entire lives without uh, the kind of witness for who Christ is and the difference he's made in our lives and that he's made possible for them. They, they just don't know. So many of them don't, Father. So our request is... several things. We pray for the believers who are there. We pray, Father, for strength for them. We pray for wisdom for them. We pray for for safety, but we pray for holy boldness. We pray for a movement of your Spirit of God in that place uh, that will partner with their presence in such a way that there will just be an upheaval in the spiritual realm that will lead to millions and millions of people coming to faith in Jesus in that region. People who who come to know that you're a God of grace and mercy and favor, you care for the you care for people who are lost, you care for them, and you died that they might know uh, forgiveness and might know the Father, Lord Jesus. Pray that the, that kind of witness uh, will just be spread throughout that region of the world, all of Afghanistan, and spill over into Iran and Pakistan and all the all the regions in that, those vicinities, Lord. Um, only you know all that is needed there. Uh, we do pray, Father, for the folks who are trapped as members of the, of the Taliban and don't even know that they're trapped. Ask, Lord Jesus, that you'd reveal yourself to them, that you'd give them dreams and visions, that you'd introduce them to people who are legitimate followers of yours who... And that instead of responding in violence led by the evil one, they would would respond in faith led by your Holy Spirit, called by your Holy Spirit to a different way of life. God, what what an amazing miracle this could be. And it's an opportunity right now. We know that. So we just pray and plead for the movement of your Spirit in that part of the world. And we together ask for that. And Lord, we ask for that, not just for that region, but we ask for it for our entire world, for our country, oh God. We are in desperate, desperate need of leadership, not from a human, but from you. We need your leadership to prevail in this land and all around the world. And so Lord, we just ask that your will would be done on earth as it is in the heavens that your kingdom would come. God, we want that. And we thank you for the promise of scripture that that day is coming. We desperately await it. Thank you, God, that you hear our prayers, that you know every person affected by all of these things. All throughout the earth, you know every person, you know them by name. We ask that you would bring all things together for good for them, that they might know you and follow you. Now, bless our look at your word. As we look here, Father, I ask that you'd speak to us, that you'd strengthen us, that you'd help us to choose to walk in your ways. Um, Father, as we learn more and as we experience more of you, we'll give you credit for every good thing that happens. This is our prayer, and we lift it together in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed with me and said... Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thanks. I hope you'll continue to pray for the folks that you see. Just as you watch the news, I mean, just, just remember, there's this, Our str- I think of Paul's words, you know, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not the Taliban per se. It's it's the spiritual forces of evil and darkness behind the scenes, and these folks are trapped and don't even know it, many of them. So, so just pray. Just be prayerful about that. Well, several years ago, I was... Uh, of all of a sudden I just started feeling bad. I just, I couldn't explain it. And days and weeks went by and I was tired and sluggish all the time. I had random achy feelings all over. I couldn't sleep well. I was irritated and frustrated. It was just wonderful being married to me, I'm sure, during that phase. And strangely, uh, my frequent donuts and ice cream weren't having the effect to improve my conditions as I felt like they should. And uh, one day, I, I remember I was kind of in my morning devotional time, I was reading my Bible and praying and just kind of being still for a little bit in prayer and uh, listening to the Holy Spirit. And I had this sense that uh, during the days ahead, if I didn't change something about my life at that moment, if I didn't make a change quick, uh, my condition wasn't going to improve. In fact, it was going to get worse. I was going to find myself one of these days really sick maybe even hospital sick. This just was kind of in my mind as I was sitting there, just a sense about it. And um, about that time, I noticed a book that Lori was reading. She was reading a book on detoxing your body. And uh, she'd been talking about it off and on throughout the time. And so I sort of commandeered her book when she wasn't paying attention and started reading and kind of looking through it and so forth. I learned in the process of reading that, that, things like sugar and carbs and fast food lunches that had been a staple in my life, maybe were part of my problem. They weren't my friend, in other words. Uh, and if I was gonna feel better, I was gonna have to change what went in my mouth. I mean, I was gonna have to change my diet, you know, what I, my intake. I needed fewer donuts, fewer Snickers bars, I needed more vegetables. I needed to get healthy, get back to the basics of healthy eating. And, and in specific, I mean, in the book, and if you've read anything on detoxing, a lot of what you do need is vegetables. I mean, you know, we need lots of vegetables. Lots and lots of raw vegetables. And uh, so I committed during that period of time, I committed for the next six weeks, I said, you know, I'm, I'm gonna eat vegetables till they're coming out of my eyeballs. I'm just gonna eat mass quantities of vegetables. And I bought a Vitamix machine, which if you're familiar with those, I mean, it was a blender on steroids is basically what it is. And because, Why? Because the thought was I can liquefy these vegetables and I can consume more this way. And I went through this whole regimen for actually two weeks into it. I was surprised, I was shocked. Two weeks into it, I began to sleep better. I began to think a little more clearly, or so I was told. Uh, I, I, I had more energy. I felt stronger, uh, began to feel healthier. I sort of stayed the course and have, uh, have tried ever since, really, whenever I start feeling kind of poor, I just start to take inventory. What have I been eating lately? What's, how, what's my in, uh, ice cream intake been? What's the quantity? And uh, we'll scale that back and try to scale up on the vegetables and so forth. But I, I learned back then that getting back to the basics of a healthy diet makes a huge difference. Makes a huge difference what's true physically is true spiritually. I don't know how much you pay attention to our culture in which we live. My guess is at this point we all do quite a lot. Uh, But if you've not been paying attention and you just look around and you think about it very much, you will quickly find that we are becoming increasingly unhealthy, spiritually speaking, as a society. This is just true. Symptoms are everywhere. Let me just highlight the context in which you and I live just sort of um, give you a synopsis of it here real quickly. Many people are frustrated and fearful about COVID issues. Uh, They're troubled about national leadership. They're weary of media, self-interest, and news being politicized and product shortages. And I could go on with those kinds of things. And folks are increasingly, if you've noticed, taking a pulse on this, increasingly irritable, increasingly tired, frustrated about everything. And it's starting to leak out. They're frustrated about these things, but it's leaking out over here in other areas. That's what it's doing. In that kind of context, something the Bible calls sin, what we're watching is it's on the rise. If you're paying attention, it's on the rise. Things like theft and deceit and like Galatians 5 tells us, you know, sexual immorality and impurity and lustful pleasures and idolatry and sorcery. I was reading it the other day, and I mean, it's... All this occult stuff just going through the roof right now. Just blew my mind. Uh, we're watching hostility and quarreling and jealousy and outbursts of anger and selfish ambition and dissension and division and envy and drunkenness and wild parties and other sins like these that Galatians 5 talks about. All these things on the rise. All of them. And as I've reflected on it and tried to listen to God and pray about all of this, I just feel like he's saying right now to all of us, he's saying right now, before things get worse, we're all in need of a moral, ethical, spiritual detox. As a nation. I think as a nation we are. But certainly you and I are as well. Or we're going to end up sicker. Spiritually, it's time to get back to the basics. It's, and for it to have effect, it's got to begin... Guess where? It's got to begin with me, has to begin with us, has to begin with you as an individual. So today we're going to focus for the next few minutes and actually for the next few weeks on some of the spiritual uh, basics, if you will. And today we're going to talk about the most basic building block of all spiritual health. We're going to reflect together on the transforming power of biblical repentance and faith. Because every one of us needs to repent of our sins and turn in faith to God. If we're we're going to to change the course, the trajectory of a nation or of of a community or a family, any any of these things, we have to begin on an individual level, repenting of our sins and turning in faith to God. And so, for the next few minutes, I just invite you to listen to evaluate your own soul a little bit in light of what Scripture says. I know it's somewhat uncomfortable because re- repentance is sort of a dirty word in our culture nowadays. I mean, Christians are writing books about, you know, your, how to experience your best life now kind of books is kind of what you're going to. So we don't want to think about repentance, but if you want to begin to change a life or a nation or a family, any of these groups, it begins with personal repentance. And so for, hope you'll listen close because this is a big, big deal to God. Listen to what he says about it in Isaiah 57, verse 15, a verse that I'm guessing is probably not highly familiar with lots of folks. But it says this, God speaking, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this. Now just pause right there. What's all that lofty language? Who's it speaking of? God. This is God's description of himself. He's high and lofty. Who lives in eternity, the holy one. Here's what he says I live in the high and holy place. He's speaking, you know, of the heavens. I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with what kind of hearts? (laughs) Repentant hearts. Just notice real carefully who it is that God says He restores and revives. He says, I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. And it's interesting, that's who He lives with in the heavens. It's referred to here as the high and holy place, but clearly humility, repentance are really, really important to God. In fact, they're so important that when God sent John the Baptist to begin preparing the way for the Messiah to show up on the planet, when God decided, I'm going to leave the heavens, leave my throne in the heavens, I'm going to take upon myself a human body, I'm going to begin to walk among men. Think about it. I mean, he lives in the heavens with the contrite, the holy, you, the humble, I mean, the repentant, and he's going to enter earth. Are we by nature contrite, humble, repentant? No, no, that's not our nature. I mean, we're the rebels, right? That's what we did in the garden. That's what we've been doing ever since. So God thinks to himself, I'm leaving the heavens. I'm, I'm holy. I'm righteous. I'm completely set apart from all things. There's no shadow of darkness in me. So I'm going to show up on the planet in a human body. What better happen on the earth or else... I'm going to lose my mind. What goes through his mind? It's like, I better send somebody, somebody with a message of repentance. So what's he do? He sends John the Baptist, Matthew 3, verses 1 of following, tells us that his message was, repent of your sins and turn to God. For the kingdom of heaven is near." He meant it quite literally. It was near. Jesus was stepping onto the human scene. He was leaving the heavens heavens in his throne, and he was going to be walking among men, and it's time to repent, everybody. To make sure they understood, John clarified his message with these words, and this was good for all of our sake. He says in verses 8 and 9 of Matthew 3, "...prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God." Don't just say to each other, we're safe, or we're descendants of Abraham. John says, that means nothing. John's concern was that the the attitude of his day was like the attitude of some in our day who would think to themselves, oh, you know, I'm fine. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I go to church. In their day, they say, oh, I I go to synagogue. John was saying, no, 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 no. This is this is this is a big deal. John wanted them and us to understand that our lives must prove that we've repented of our sins and turned to God. God sees through just words. He's not swayed by the six-second soundbite of a news media clip from your mouth or mine. He's just really not. There has to be evidence of repentance, evidence of life change, some of us would think to ourselves, well, that was John. That was he was kind of a radical. After all, he wore clothes with camel hair and ate locusts, and he, he was a whacked-out dude. That's how we think in our day, right? Surely Jesus sort of thought a little differently about that because there's all the emphasis in our culture about, about his mercy, his grace, and so forth. And let me just say he is merciful. He is grace-filled. But I want you to notice really clearly The Bible tells us that when John the Baptist was arrested and jailed, Matthew 4 tells us, verse 17, that from then on, Jesus began to preach. Notice what he says. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 4, 17 tells us this because this was the the central theme of everything Jesus had to say. It was his appeal to all of mankind. It was like that, like that phone. He's trying to get everybody's attention. He's trying to get everybody's attention. And he's saying, repent. Repent of your sins. Turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And Jesus carried on, right where John left off, his primary message, repent of your sins, turn in faith to God. So it shouldn't surprise us that throughout Jesus' life and ministry, Jesus gave us numerous glimpses of what genuine repentance and faith look like. And this morning, we don't have time to go through all of them, but I wanna spotlight for you a couple of them. I wanna highlight a couple of examples of repentance as they show up in in the teachings and the life of Jesus because I want you to see that this is a thread that ran through so much of what he did. And even though sometimes we mentally move off the mark of this point, it was central. It was absolutely foundational to Jesus. And all the other teachings of Jesus are wonderful, but if they are without regard for repentance and faith in God, it's all like Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3 like building on another foundation. Building your life on some foundation other than Christ. And you go doing that, and Paul tells us what's going to happen is that the day will come when all that's been built that way will burn, it's all going to perish. So let's look at a couple of examples, just a couple of glimpses of genuine repentance and faith in God, what it sort of looks like. And they're familiar to many of us, but one glimpse I want us to see involves two men who went to the temple to pray. Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells of these two individuals. He says, two men went to the temple to pray and one was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself. Just picture yourself. It's like, you got a room like this at the temple. And so the Pharisee, what's he do? He's kind of off over here, kind of in a corner. Maybe back right over there. Back behind the omelette over here. Why is he in a corner like that? He's praying this prayer. And he's just watching from that place, looking at everybody. Here's his prayer. I thank you, God. I'm not like all those other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. He kind of looks across the room, focuses, locks eyes on that person. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. and His prayer presumably just keeps going like that. As Jesus is telling the prayer though he goes on, verse 13, and says, but the the tax collector stood at a distance. So he's like back out there in the entryway somewhere, just like just kind of creeps in the building. Stands at a distance, dared not even lift his eyes to heaven, and he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow and said, Oh, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. I want you to listen to Jesus' assessment of these two. Verse 14. Jesus says to his disciples, people there, he says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, which, let me just pause. The way he's saying this, this sinner and not that sinner. That's what he's saying, but he's being, shall we say, gracious in how he says it. I tell you, this sinner not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. Just think about that. Think about his language. Returned home justified, which means that God heard his prayer, received it, and said, I give you mercy. I give you mercy. And Jesus explains, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted you know according to jesus attempts to justify oneself attempts to, to make comparisons with other people as though you know somehow you're better than they are or or the inverse where you know i'm worse than them and kind of beat yourself up over that It's just that, that whole comparison game according to jesus the whole idea of offering excuses for sins and shortcomings i mean i mean all of that stuff is just worth nothing It's pointless It's a waste of time, energy, mental effort. Humble, genuine repentance is what God is looking for from us. He wants to sincerely hear the truth out of our mouths and out of our hearts. He wants us to be like the one sinner in the story. He wants us to be looking heavenward and just saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, please. I'm a sinner. And he doesn't want us to just mouth the words. Because again, what do we learn from John? Our lives need to bear the evidence, the proof of forgiveness and repentance. And the proof is a humble heart toward him and a sincere effort to listen to him and walk in his ways. Sincere effort. So i got to ask you, have you humbled yourself like the sinner that Jesus tells us about? Have you humbled yourself like that before God and repented of the shortcomings in your life? Catch another glimpse of genuine repentance from one of two men who were crucified along with Jesus. The Bible tells us, I've always loved this Exchange uh, from Scripture because of the mercy that it reflects. But the Bible tells us in Luke 23 that two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him, with Jesus. And when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And the Bible goes on in verse 39 to describe how One of the criminals hanging beside him, hanging beside Jesus, scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it. Now just think about this. We're to prove our repentance, right? Okay. This is what scripture tells us. And and here, this guy is saying, prove that you're the Messiah. Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. And I just want you to think about this for me a moment. This guy, in so many ways, is representative of so many people who have lived throughout history who've taken a cynical posture towards God. In their heart of hearts, they're unrepentant. And they somehow have this idea that, like, life's been so bad for me that I'm just going to unleash on you, God. God. And that's what they do. And I get pain. I get cynicism. We all struggle with this kind of stuff. But as he's hanging on the cross, the thief next to him, the, the criminal next to him protests. Verse 40 says, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? He says, We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Point being, he's just saying, here's a guy who's suffering unjustly. We had it coming. And he looks at Jesus, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, who is merciful but holy, says to him, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, he's, you, you die on a cross of suffocation primarily, and he's like using some of his very few breaths to bless this man in this way. I mean, it's an amazing act of mercy on Jesus' part. I should you to listen to that last phrase of Jesus again. He says to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. I've always appreciated that fact because I just think he didn't say next year, you know, tomorrow, some other time, some future generation. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And I want you to remember this. His words remind me sort of are an echo in many ways of Isaiah 57, which we read a few moments ago. Think about Isaiah 57, 15. Again, it says, The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one, says this, I live in the high and holy place. He's speaking of heaven and paradise. This is where he, this is his domain. I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. And Jesus, in Luke 23 with this man, is just saying, oh, here's somebody who's repentant. Come be with me. Come be with me. That's what he's doing. And apparently, even condemned criminals can be forgiven and go to heaven. That's what Jesus is trying to get across here if they have the humility to repent and the faith to turn to God, they can be forgiven. So if our culture, the the spiritual health of our culture, if the spiritual health of my life is going to improve, part of what we've got to do, all of us, is we've got to lay aside our cynicism. We've got to lay aside our attempts to justify ourselves to somehow make ourselves feel better about the choices that we've made that are sinful we got to stop making excuses about these things we've got to stop blaming it on other people blaming it on culture because guess what it was me who made the decision either I did it because I was too ignorant to know better which if I kill somebody and then know any better guess what I'm still guilty of murder right still guilty of killing somebody right or I knew better. And either way, I've fallen short. And so instead of making excuses and trying to push the blame somewhere else, I just need to lay all of that at the feet of the cross. I need to humble myself before you, O oh God. I need to genuinely repent and just say, oh God, please be merciful to me, a sinner. It's the beginning of a healthy spiritual culture, a healthy spiritual life. That's why every great transformation of good that's happened in the history of the earth since Jesus' day has pretty much begun with a spirit of revival and repentance. It is like nations that have come under conviction and have gotten on their knees and pled to God for mercy and forgiveness. It is the beginning of getting back to the basics of what it means to actually be spiritual. It means to be humble, repentant, contrite in heart. And the promise of God is that I restore the crushed spirit of the humble. I revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. In fact, folks with Hearts like that reside with me in the high and holy place. And he's preparing a place for you and me if we will have that kind of heart before him. So this morning as we share in the Lord's Supper together here in just a few moments, it's a perfect opportunity for you and me to do a little business transaction, you might say, with God. And just... To humble ourselves as we eat the bread, which is a reminder of the body of Christ. It was the price that was paid for your forgiveness of mine, so that, so that when we repented, so that we humbled ourselves, when we adopted a contrite heart, that justice could be done for us, which would be justice meaning forgiveness for us. It works this way. The math works this way. Jesus, who is Holy, righteous, completely humble, completely virtuous to the core of his being. There is no shadow of of, of darkness in him. He leaves a throne in the heavens. He takes upon himself a human body. He enters into our world and he suffers an unjust death. Why? So that he, as God who is the judge of all mankind and as fully man, a representative of all of us, could on the cross... Represent us and our suffering that we deserve, and as God on the cross, forgive simultaneously. This is what he's doing. It's an act of unbelief. I mean, only God could have thought it up. The evil one would have never allowed him to be crucified if he'd understood what was going on. Scripture talks about that. But God thought it up because in his mercy, he knew we would sin. But he chose this because he knew that some of us would humble ourselves and with contrite heart, repent and turn to him and follow him willingly toward a righteous and good life. Just a few moments as you eat the bread it's a reminder of that act of mercy and grace and as you drink the juice it's a reminder of that act of mercy and grace it's representative of the shed blood of jesus that was poured out on the cross to cover your sins and mine and to bring healing in the flesh and healing in the spirit and healing for all eternity to make all things right in one day it's begun but it's yet to be as well simultaneously it's a A great mystery. It's in process. As we share in the Lord's Supper this morning, just humble yourself before God and just thank Him. Though you could have never conceived of this, and though you at one time were in a state of not loving Him, He loved you nonetheless. He died for you. If you'll humble yourself in that way and just... Cry out to him as a sinner that we all are. He will be merciful. He will forgive. Let's bow our heads together. Pray together and then we'll share in the Lord's Supper. We'll have some other things to help you continue to reflect on this. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Though every one of us is a sinner. You are merciful to the contrite. You are kind to the repentant. We don't deserve that. But We humble ourselves and we acknowledge before you that we are in desperate, desperate need of personal, spiritual forgiveness and help from you from the heavens. We thank you that you helped us roll away, do away with the sin in our lives and the consequences of that sin. We thank you for that. Thank you that by your blood, every sin has been, is cleansed. We don't deserve it. Thank you, Lord, for helping us who are sinners Lord our request is that not only would you cleanse us but that you would would fill us with your spirit we want to walk in holiness and repentance we want to walk a righteous life live that like you did recognize that apart from your help that's just impossible because we're by nature inclined towards sin so Lord as we share in the Lord's Supper this morning as we eat the bread, as we drink the juice remembering the price that you paid for our forgiveness the price you paid in order to redeem every man, woman and child who would turn to you in faith and to redeem the earth in which we live all of the universe. You've purchased it with your shed blood. As we take these emblems, we we thank you and we ask for more of you, more of your filling, more of your strength, more healing from you, more vision and empowerment. Would you meet us in these moments, Lord, as we repent, in Christ, Christ's name that we pray, amen. And just before you start the Lord's Supper, just keep your heads bowed. I just want to encourage you. If there's some sin in your life that has just really plagued you, now is the time. I mean, this is the moment. Confess it. If you've been trapped in some area. Confess it to God. The blood of Jesus conquers all sin share in the Lord's Supper.
0: stand and uh, praise Him for the grace that we found in Him. What seems foolishness
1: to this broken world is this hope we found we found in Christ as the Son of God on a cross bloodstain came and gave His life his life for us.
3: The beauty of our God is that he doesn't leave us in our sin. He meets us there and he extends grace and mercy and glory and eternity and opportunity that can't come any other way. So I just hope that this morning you'll receive that. You'll receive that. Let's bow our heads. We're going to close in prayer. If you need prayer for anything in specific, come on down afterwards and we'll pray for you or email us at pastors at southwoods.org. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy, that you are loving beyond anything we could comprehend, just as you are holy beyond anything we could comprehend. We thank you that all of that met on the cross, and in your death and suffering, you made a way. You're the way maker for us to make it to a holy and righteous father, sinners that we are. We thank you that you've not left us there, but now you want to fill us with your spirit. You want to transform our minds through your scriptures, through your word, that we might live your way, that we might think like you think, do what you would do, that everywhere we go, we might be lights in dark places. Lord, in the world in which we live, we need more and more light, more and more of you, and more and more of your children who have embraced a humble, contrite, repentant heart and have been filled by your grace. Would you fill us and help us to be ambassadors of all that everywhere we go? May this kind of thing multiply throughout Afghanistan. May it multiply throughout the entire Middle East, throughout the earth and in our homes, in our lives. Thanks for your grace. Go with us now as we leave this place. May we leave empowered by your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's
2: name we pray. Amen. Bless you all.